there are things that are happening in the industry that are creating a lot of change. For example, the death of third-party cookies that is completely disrupting digital advertising. And so companies are really going to need to rely on other ways to connect with their customers. And so we think that tracking is sort of the old way. Having meaningful conversations and building authentic relationships is is going to be more and more important and email is really a solution for that. My name is Filip Kwiatkowski. I'm the CEO and founder at Ubico. This is Code Story, the podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Lapark, and today, how Filip Kwiatkowski created the email system backed by intelligence that learns from you. All this and more on Code Story. Philippe Kubitkowski has been addicted to gaming since he was a teenager. He played games like Microsoft Flight Simulator and Grand Theft Auto, and in the process, he discovered multiplayer mods that allowed you to play online, which was his first introduction to coding. When he was 16, he got his first freelancing gig building websites, and eventually he studied computer science at university, and interestingly enough, he joined an accelerator. For fun, he enjoys playing soccer, and has played ever since high school. He also enjoys running, and in fact, is sort of prepping for a marathon. Eventually, he would love to do a Spartan race as well. During the days when he was involved in the accelerator, Phil started noticing that many founder problems were centered around distribution, or how to get their product in front of customers. He decided to build a better cold email tool, one that solved these problems. And it worked. This is the creation story of Ubico. Ubico is essentially an email automation platform for growing companies. So founders, small business owners, small um, sales and marketing teams that are growth focused and our platform helps them drive more sales with you know, super targeted, highly relevant email campaigns. The way the company started was uh, while I was studying computer science at my university, uh, there was um, a an accelerator and in that accelerator there were a ton of um, really smart founders, really smart engineers, scientists that um, they were building really cool products, but the one thing that they struggled with was booking customer interviews. That was like the common, the common pain point. That's what people struggled with the most. Um, so I put together, I hacked together a little, little prototype. Essentially, it was a cold email tool that allowed them to connect with their potential customers or potential users um, via email. Um, and that proved to work really, really well. Um, the founders there really um, saw great results, great value from it. But it turns out startups aren't the greatest customers because a lot of them are not around uh, in six months. <laughs> you know, you can't it, you can't really build a sustainable business of just uh, just startups. Um, so we were lucky in the sense that we found out that small, medium-sized businesses, mid-market companies also have this challenge, but it's just. It, it, it's in their marketing and, and sales functions. 
Let's dive into the MVP, so that first product you built. Tell me how long it took to build and what sort of tools you used to bring it to life. So the, the first MVP, I think literally took a weekend. Um, it was very, very quick. And we used a bunch of no-code tools. So we used Webflow, um, we used Zapier and Google Sheets. <laughs> so it was really hacky, um, three different tools. You know, Webflow we used as a, a front-end dashboard. Zapier we used to glue the data from the dashboard into into the Google into the Google Sheets. And then since I had some coding skills, I knew uh, HTML, CSS, JavaScript. I could, you know, um, I could uh, write some uh, leverage various APIs that allowed us to uh, handle the email sending functionality. So it took a weekend. It was it was very uh, very basic. That's a great MVP. It's super unconstrained, right? You're building with low code to no code tools, right? And you're proving the concept. But even even with an MVP like that, you got to make certain decisions and trade offs about where you're going to start, right? What you're going to kind of cut down to feature wise, or in in the world of low code tools, right? What you're going to use essentially to to hack it together. So tell me about some of those decisions that she made specifically and how you coped with them. I knew from experience that the the moment you start writing code is when you're creating technical debt. So. I, I really wanted us to build the right the right functionality, and so we decided we would use we continue to use Webflow as our front end dashboard, so we didn't have to spend time doing any front end development because we knew the bulk of the work should be spent in um, email. How do we send emails reliably? How do we um, how do we how do we design a system that allows us to <clears throat> automate the sending of emails, you know, email is extremely complicated. It's not, it's like on a different protocol, it's SMTP. Um, so it actually requires like a very different skill set. Um, so we knew a lot of our time would have to be spent there uh, versus like tweaking the design and the front end. Um, so, so that's, yeah, because of the nature of, of what we do, um, we had to spend our time in designing the back-end email functionality part versus versus the front-end. Then tell me a little bit, and, and you kind of started to allude to this in a little bit more of your overview and maturing the product, but let's dig into it. So how did you progress it and mature the product from that point? And I'm interested in, in structuring that in the, in the standpoint of how did you build your roadmap and, and how did you decide, okay, this is the next most important thing to build? You know, we did it closely with our customers. As a strategy, we didn't want to start with self-service for this exact reason. Our product was priced at like a thousand to two thousand dollars per month, so relatively high for for a SaaS platform. And the reason we did that is because we also assigned a, an account manager to walk people through how to use the platform. And so that type of designing the customer relationship in that way was, you know, we did it on purpose because we wanted to get as much feedback and absorb all the learnings from how the customers used used our platform. You know, we worked in close proximity with our customers and it was really seeing what were the things that 
they use the most. Um, so from the analytics that we would see on our on our end, we would we would notice okay, these this is a feature that they use more. So we would um, we would choose to you know to work on that a little more. Um, but essentially, we we were always having a close relationship with our customers. We we have um, our account managers have biweekly calls with them. So in those moments, almost all of our customers recommend a bunch of features. And then we take all those recommendations and then we put it in um, essentially an ICE framework that we use and then we score it that way. How do you go about in the, the scoring process, right? Because I think everybody has a little bit different flavor there. What, what do you, how do you score what's, what's high or what is the formula to score? The way that we prioritize is we've kind of modified and, and created our own version of the ICE framework. In the quarter, we identify like three to four main performance drivers for the business. So, so goals that we have for the business. And then we evaluate each feature request based on, um, based on how effectively it would move the needle uh, for the business in that, that, for that goal. So in order to make that calculation, we're also looking at the confidence metric and the effort required. So impact, confidence, uh, and effort. And so that spits out a score at the end of it. And that, that is what uh, allows us to prioritize and rank the different feature requests. How often do you find yourself straying from that? Or is it rigid uh, check and balance for your, for your features? We're a lot more disciplined now as we've grown and, and acquired more customers. In the early days, obviously, we used to prioritize the customers who paid us more, <laughs> simply put. I remember at one point, you know, our Salesforce integration took like a week, but that was us. Um, we, had, we had promised a Salesforce integration, but actually, we didn't have it built yet. Um, <laughs> but we knew we could build it in a week. So once we did have a customer that, that needed that Salesforce integration, we then prioritize that and then and then built it. Well, let's switch to team then. So, so how did you build your team, and what did you look for in those people to indicate that they were the winning horses to join you? Team is an important one. It's probably the most important factor for success at, at, a, at a startup. So initially, I mean, it's evolved over time. Initially, it was it was me and my friends just saying, "Hey, we have nothing to do. Let's sit down and let's do this." Um, so there was no qualifying if, if we're the right co-founders or um, if we're the right uh, the right people with the right skills it was just let's sit down and let's do this um, and and that worked well because we're all these hacker types that can play uh, multiple roles wear multiple hats I mean in the early days we would always prioritize speed so one thing we never did properly was having uh, proper CI CD we never did proper testing so um, now, you know, what we look for is uh, engineers that are also, um, you know, can write proper tests and, and, and are familiar with how to, um, how to, you know, use, how to, how to, how to have experience with, with uh, more mature deployment cycles. So we, um, you know, today we're only three engineers today. Um, so we're pretty lean on the engineering side, um, and we have a front end, a full stack, and then a person that is our, uh, Patty, who's our director of software engineering. And he, um, 
he does a lot of the DevOps、uh, side of things. If you were to pick one one quality that all of these individuals have, though, that make Ubico successful, what is that quality? The one quality. I mean, there's a lot of qualities, but the the, the one quality is that、um, everyone's very disciplined. They're they're they're, they're disciplined, and they can.、Um, that means that they can be very autonomous、um, and very resourceful.、Um, And I think that's very important when you're working in a in a startup, which is, you know, a, a more intense environment than than、um, than working at a big company.、Um, there's less structure, less, less process,、um, so there's less checks and balances. There's less policies, procedures to follow. So in order to get work done、um, at a at a very high standard, is、um, it really does require a lot of discipline. Well, let's flip to scalability. So, did you build this to scale efficiently from day one, or are you fighting this as you grow? Definitely fighting it as we grow.、Um, I would have preferred us to build it from day one, scale、uh, with scale in mind from day one, but、um, that wasn't、uh, possible at the time. We're fighting it as we grow, and like I said, there, a lot of the challenges we have today. Are yes around scalability, so we're starting to send、uh, a ton of emails. So just the volume of emails sent from our platform has has increased exponentially.、Um, so that actually put a huge strain on our servers,、um, on our on our infrastructure.、Um, so we're you know back to going back to talking about、um, SMTP and email.、Um, we then now started to leverage. More sophisticated tools that help us with email infrastructure. So things that we thought we would, we would just continue doing kind of from scratch with low-level libraries. Now we're working with partners, other companies that that handle those parts for us. Well, as you step out on the balcony and you look across all you've built with Ubico, what are you most proud of? What I'm most proud of is the impact that we have on our customers. So what we really love to hear. Is when our customers tell us that you know they they don't see a world without our our platform. They they don't know how they would go go back to not 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 using our product.、Um, so having that impact and especially on with with having that much impact、um, with with small businesses really、um, really makes a difference for us because part of our mission is to empower. SMBs to、um, to grow, and so it's part of our mission as a company, and that's what drives me personally, and it's really what drives the whole team is making that that impact. Well, let's flip the script a little bit. So, tell me about a mistake you made, and how you and your team responded to it. We've made many mistakes, and we continue to make mistakes.、Um, but the one big mistake we made was. Uh, on the tech side, was not being a little more methodical on how we chose to architect our system. So we we really did prioritize speed, but we really I think over prioritized speed versus、uh, reliability. So one example is we used Go, the the programming language Go for our authentication. When we had so many different options, like commercial 
uh, options that we could have used. We chose to, to write it from scratch using Go because at the time, our development team thought it would be also a fun thing to add to our to our tool set. You know, we you want to have fun as well while, while you're doing this. Um, but that was a mistake that actually caused uh, a bit of tech debt for us. That looking back, we should have we should have been a lot more methodical and just think of the consequences uh, long term as a system scaled. So, what I would actually do differently now is earlier on get a get a technical advisor uh, earlier on that can sort of uh, fact check our decisions and review some of the yeah some of the the tools and the uh, approach that we're taking in uh, in developing our system. That makes sense. That's a tricky one, right? Because you want your developers to be bought into what they're building. And so choosing Go, everybody probably was very unified in that decision, but it still would have been a hard decision. It would have been a hard decision to make even then to say, actually, this isn't going to be the best thing, even though we're all jazzed about it. So that's, that's tough. It's a tough one, right? Because you also... You know, you trust the people you work with, um, and so you don't want to, you know, you you want everyone to be, especially at different people in the team are accountable for different things, and so that wasn't part of my function, um, so I didn't I didn't challenge it too much because I trusted the the person to make the right decision, but I think some level of, you know, hey, is this really the right decision long term, and could we perhaps. If we're if if there's some disagreement, let's validate it with a technical advisor that has a lot more experience that can, you know, tell us if this is right or wrong. So, what does the future look like for Ubico, the product, and for your team? So, there's still so much innovation left um, in email. You know, email hasn't looked different in the last 20, 30 years. It's looked the same. There are things that are happening in the industry that are creating a lot of change. For example, the death of third-party cookies that is completely disrupting digital advertising. And so companies are really going to need to rely on other ways to connect with their customers. And so we think that tracking is sort of the old way. Having meaningful conversations and building authentic relationships is, is going to be more and more important. And email is really a solution for that. So email becomes a lot more important as a as a way to build an authentic relationship with your customer um, and also the the tools to build these systems are a lot more um, accessible um, and it's it, it's become easier so for example you know we launched a product recently called autopilot and it takes in a few bullet points and spits out a personalized email and that's using a pre-trained language model called GPT-3. And GPT-3 to me is, is profound because what it represents is for the first time ever, we can get um, access to a deep learning uh, neural net via an API. So just two years ago, three years ago, you'd have to have like a whole team of uh, really smart scientists and people with PhDs in AI to to do this kind of stuff, but now it's available to us for a few 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 cents um, per API call. So I think that's pretty profound, um, and so we're in a, we, we've integrated that into our product. And then for the team, so the team is about to to really uh, explode because um, in October 
we're actually raising our, our seed round. So um, we're sort of at this inflection point where um, customers love our platform and um, you know, we, we just need to, to satisfy their needs, their feature requests. We have a huge back, backlog of their feature requests. Um, so yeah, so we, um, our team is about to grow you know, hiring more engineers and, and especially hiring more uh, sales and marketing staff because up to this point, we've been uh, really uh, pretty much growing organically using our own tool, using email, and then also just through referrals. So um, for us, it's about finding the right team that can also help us uh, get more customers. Well, let's switch to you, Phil. Who influences the way that you work? Name a CEO, CTO, an architect, really any person. Name a person you look up to and why. To be honest, I, I don't I don't really have like these idols, these these tech idols. Um, I've I've I read a lot of books and and um, biographies of, of various entrepreneurs like Elon Musk and Steve Jobs. And yeah, and I guess th- those people motivate me. But I think more practically, it, it's some of the people around me that that motivated me the most. Um, so, you know, my father, for example, ran, he, he runs his own small business. You know, it's a very small scale. It's in the, it's in the transportation industry, but he's sort of been always very resourceful um, and, and very independent. Um, so that's what motivates me. And then my advisors as well, that, that are advisors to Ubico, they've really influenced the, the way that, uh, that I make decisions as, as a founder. Okay, so we talked about a mistake, but a little bit different spin. If you could go back to the beginning, what would you do differently? Or where would you consider taking a different approach? Yeah, so what I would do differently is actually take more time planning. Um, So rely on the no-code tools for as long as possible. Because if you, when you start writing code, um, it it really is, is, it's, uh, it's, it's, you know, every new line of code adds a risk and it adds adds technical debt, and it's gonna be it's gonna need to be refactored at at one point. So, I would what I would do instead is actually instead of thinking about how do we um, write code for this functionality, it would be what sorts of other tools can we use? What sorts of other no code tools can we leverage that would deliver the same functionality? And then take more time to plan on how we would get off those tools, but spend just a lot more time planning and then vetting the plan with uh, with people that are more experienced, like uh, you know, like a technical advisor at a company. And and they're out there. These these people, like a lot of people that are senior at these uh, engineering roles in tech, they, they wanna help out. And um, if you just cold email them, right? If you reach out to them saying, hey, here's our situation, we'd love to, to have you um, uh, we'd love to ask you a few questions about our technology decisions. You know, more often than not, people are willing to help out. Um, so we should have done more of that, and that would have avoided a lot of costly mistakes. I would echo that. People in the tech world specifically are always willing to help and share their knowledge. I would say that's 99% of the time people are willing to jump in and do that. And honestly, the, the only reason I think that also a big reason why we've been able to to scale is because us as founders, we've always had uh, computer science chops. Um, I've met a ton of founders that um, either have been taken advantage of by development agencies 
um, that just keep increasing the statement of work and and it getting too complicated. And then also now I'm learning how many tech companies, tech startups fail because of uh, huge technical infrastructure challenges that it's like it's almost um, the point of no return. There's like so much, so many issues that uh, that it becomes impossible to navigate. So um, it's important to be very methodical about your, your infrastructure. Well, last question, Phil. So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world. Can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person having gone down this road a bit? I would say just do it. My advice is just do it. You, um, entrepreneurship is the type of journey that you only really learn as you go. Um, you can read as many books and watch as many videos, but entrepreneurship is really just about, about doing it. Um, and then, you know, having fun along the way as well. Sometimes, especially in the startup world where everything is sort of really seems, everything seems rosy from the outside. But then when you look in the inside, it's like, there's a lot of chaos, but I would say have fun because it's actually a huge privilege, privilege to be able to do, uh, to do a startup, to work at a startup, to, to work in tech. It's a huge privilege that we have. And so. So just remember to, to, to have fun along the way. Couldn't agree more. Well, Phil, thanks for being on the show today. Thank you for telling the creation story of Ubico. Thank you, Noah. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. Support the show on patreon.com slash codestory for just five to ten bucks a month. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening.